Uh, I am using my um, uh, other desktop computer. So where's your beverage? My beverage is right here. I've got it. Don't worry. Um, what do you have? Uh, this is an 18-year-old Japanese whiskey. Ah, okay. Then you're going to be mortified by what I'm drinking tonight. What's that? This is watermelon and cucumber vodka martini with a wedge of watermelon on the side. <laughs> I'm getting white girl wasted tonight. I was going to say, that's the kind of thing that they binge drink with. Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Doing an end run around the music industry machine. The former singer of I, Mother Earth joins us to talk about paying musicians in digital currency, fans with digital extras, and it's about the most complicated technology today made simple. Wouldn't it be nice to strip out all the instruments on all music? We're going to play the Beach Boys in a way you've never, ever heard before. Plus, Alan rolls around on the floor of an 1800 saloon like a lily-livid varmint, virtually. Oh, it was so weird and creepy. And why next week's episode is brought to you by a chihuahua. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Listen up. This is a team shootout. Good guys versus the bad guys. When you die, and you will die, I'll bring you back to life to try again. What was your uh, final thought on virtual reality after spending an evening at Studio 3B East in the VR studio? Yes. Uh, if you haven't seen this, I'm, as we sit here, apparently we've had 4,000 views of me making a fool of myself. A complete fool of yourself. But that's the neat thing. Of, that's the neat thing, though, about virtual reality. We, we hooked you up to a game called Dead and Buried. <laughs> and the neat thing about this game is that it takes place in the Wild West of the 1800s. You are a resurrected gunslinger, and your job is to fight other resurrected gunslingers in a virtual world in room-scale 3D, which meant that you were literally rolling around on the floor, hiding behind virtual barrels. Yes, and I was trying to use those virtual barrels barrels to stand up, keep my balance, and um, otherwise use as they were physical objects. And uh, I, I don't, you have it on, on, on video on, on Facebook Live, and I must have looked like a dork. Well, and that actually tells the tale of the value of VR and the high quality of it, that when you were hiding behind what was admittedly a cartoon-like barrel, like this did, didn't look like an actual barrel, it looked like a Roadrunner barrel, but because it felt so realistic to you, you were looking to grab onto it as support. I was. I really was. And when I finally got into, when I finally learned how to use the controllers properly, and what to you know? How to grab? How to reload? How to shoot? All that stuff. Uh, it suddenly clicked, and I was completely immersed in this game, which, by the way, has X, Y, and Z axes, axes, <laughs> um, and complete 360-degree view, uh, viewing. I really believe that I was 
living and fighting within this cartoon environment. You've got that grizzled 1800s Wild West look about you. So when you play, and you play against three other real people over the internet, uh, I want my voice to replicate that of what I look like. So I don't talk normally. I talk like this. (laughs) And the neat thing about talking like this is that from time to time, there are people in the game who think I'm part of the game. And they flat out ask me, are you real or are you an NPC? <laughs> the look on your face when you took the headset off, you looked like you were a kid again. Yeah. And, and it was actually more than just that sensation because just as we were about to get into showing you Star Trek bridge crew, your wife shouted from upstairs, Alan, time to go. No, no, no. We're just about to get onto the bridge. It, w- it was like, but mom, we just got our soldiers lined up for the battle. I know. Boy, but um, yeah. oh, quiet over there, dog. You uh, you have a really sweet setup there with uh, you know all the controllers, uh, a nice fast PC with a, a good video card, uh, the sensors that you've got strung around the room. I don't have them strung around the room. I, I'm going to take issue with that because I put a lot of effort into actually mounting them in the wall so that when you come into the room, it doesn't look like a Best Buy blew up. No, no, no. I mean it. It's 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 a VR bunker down there with everything professionally <laughs> installed, and it is um, it's impressive. So as you were walking out of the house, I overheard Mary Ellen say as she was leaving, "So you're gonna get one." <laughs> uh, and she didn't seem pleased with the idea. Well, now that I've just uh, done the basement here, I do have a monitor that does have some free inputs. So all I need is a good Alienware computer and uh, some of the gear that you uh, you showed me. And uh, it's game on. Well, when it comes to game on, here's what you need to know. First of all, the price point. That Alienware computer I've got, which is like the low end of what's necessary to make it happen, was about $1,000. The Oculus Rift can be sold as a bundle with the hand controllers or just with the Xbox controller. Get the hand controllers. So all in all, I think they cut the price recently to below 600 bucks. So it is literally a $1,600 outlay unless you've already got the PC. If you've got a fairly powerful PC, you just need to make sure the graphics card is capable. Uh, and it is a GTX 970 or above if you are in the NVIDIA crowd, which seems to be most people these days. Because what you need to do is have the 45 frames per second per eye. So it needs to pump out essentially at 90 frames a second. So you need a, you need a pretty high-end graphics card, not necessarily a CPU. It's the GPU that does the, the heavy lifting on that. If you're thinking about starting from scratch, uh, go to Oculus.com. They have a whole area dedicated to VR-ready PCs that can help you make the decision. The alternative is the HTC Vive, which was sort of the first mover in that space. Oculus have been working on it for a while before it was bought up by Facebook. But at the end of the day, HTC, which is known more as a handset smartphone maker, uh, came out with the Vive. The Vive has one advantage over the Rift. It's the tracking. It uses a wireless technology, so you stick these little cubes in the corners of your room, whereas Oculus uses USB. So you need USB extensions if you've got a fairly large room. You need multiple USB cards if you want to have more than two sensors. Uh, The sensors themselves 
come as two if you get the touch. If you just go with the Xbox controller version, it only has one. But you need two for the surround 360 degree thing. So at the end of the day, if you're thinking about just getting into it, it's 1600 bucks. If you're thinking about um, getting into it, with an existing PC, it's about 600 I recommend the Rift over the Vive, largely because the, the visual fidelity is better than the Vive, even though the Vive is easier to set up. Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. I got to tell you, one of my favorite things this week was hearing the Beach Boys sing Wouldn't It Be Nice without the background music. Isn't that a really cool, uh, isolated vocal? This song actually has a lot of meaning for me because um, early in my radio career, I was probably 18 at the time, and uh, I worked at News Talk 1010, which at the time was CFRB 1010, and they actually played music. Yeah. And uh, whenever this song would uh, enter the rotation, I would say to the announcer on the other side of this, the glass because I was the button pusher. I'd say, um, I'm going to be gone for two and a half minutes. I'll be back. And I would crank this because... Uh, I was at the time seeing this fantastic girl whose parents absolutely hated me because I was in radio and that was dangerous and I was a bad influence <laughs> on uh, their daughter. And so they just made our lives miserable as, as far as, you know, rules and regulations are concerned. And all I wanted was to marry this girl. So whenever this song came into rotation for two minutes and 23 seconds, she and the Beach Boys were my world. to live together in the kind of world where we belong No one's gonna make it that much better When we can say goodnight and stay I wish that every kiss was ever ending But wouldn't it be nice Maybe if we think and wish and hope and pray it might come true Run, run, will Baby, then there wouldn't be a single thing we couldn't do But we could be married You know it seems the more we talk about it It only makes it worse to live
I love that right at the end where you can tell that they all just figured the sound engineer would fade the song out and so, well, that's good enough. I really enjoy listening to the isolated vocal stuff of uh, pre-autotune artists because it gives you a real idea of the kind of talent these people had. There was no fixing in the mix back in 64, 65, 66 when the Beach Boys were at their peak. You had to nail those notes. There was no tweaking afterwards. There was no pitch correction. None of that stuff. Uh, I remember once uh, hearing David Bowie and Freddie Mercury do uh, Under Pressure together. Which I know is not your favorite song of all time. It is not my favorite song. But it takes your breath away. It does. You listen to the isolated vocals and you hear you know, the phrasing, the breathing, the decisions each of these artists make when they're uh, singing a line. And it is absolutely incredible. They're pitch perfect. Breath control is amazing. And, you know, you listen to some of these uh, artists who have been auto-tuned and then you go back and listen to the isolated vocal before the auto-tune. And I mean, they can't hold it. They can't hold a note. When this song first came out on that album, the Beatles halfway around the world went, oh, shit. (laughs) They did. They did. But again, the Beatles were no slouches either because they had spent, you know, hundreds, thousands of hours playing live in that those horrible clubs in Hamburg. And they were great musicians and they had fantastic harmonies. Again, they were recording in mono on three track reel to reel recorders. There was no fixing any mistakes later on. You had to be bang on. You know, it just goes to show you how when you use technology, there is this temptation to use it so that everything that you're doing is perfect. And that's a bad thing because sometimes a little bit of imperfection makes something even more beautiful. And I really believe that with music. Maybe the drum uh, track drags a little bit. Maybe your voice cracks a little bit in a really emotional part of the song. Today, those things would be taken out. They would be corrected. And that's part of the reason why a lot of music sounds the same today is because everything is in a perfect sync everything is in perfect beats everything is snapped to the grid everything is uh, pitch corrected and auto-tuned and it takes a lot of the humanity out of music speaking of humanity what's with the animal behind you which one is that uh this one here is schmooze schmooze quiet yes please line of work, you find yourself in a position where discovering new music is critical 
but at the same time, you want to make sure that the artist gets paid. Yeah, I'm a very big proponent into making sure that people get paid for the fruits of their labor. Musicians uh, perform a very important task for us. They are able to feel and express those feelings better than we can, which is why we need to, to, to pay them whenever they give us something that helps us understand, understand the way we feel. So uh, there is no free ride. Everybody should be paying for music in some way or another. One of the problems I can imagine is for the artist to be able to get in front of more ears, and you need to encourage the listener to share that music discovery, and I suppose that's where music economy comes in. The problem is that for the last 15 years, people have become accustomed to getting music for free or something very close to it. They don't even see an issue with downloading music from the internet or ripping something from YouTube and not compensating the rights holders for that music. What we need is a entirely new economy where people actually get to pay and get paid in a way that maybe leaves out the middleman with the record labels and the publishers and everybody else that gets in the way between the artist and, and the audience. And uh, a lot of people are, are trying to get into the whole Bitcoin thing or the virtual currency thing or the cryptocurrency thing, whatever you want to call it, to make sure that people uh, make those connections and the money goes to where it's supposed to go. So joining us now is Brian Byrne, the former singer of I, Mother Earth and co-founder of Musicgonomy. Good to have you with us. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So walk us through how this works, I suppose, from the listener's perspective. Okay, so uh, it, it basically it's uh, the, the, the token, the Music Economy MCI, would allow for the, you know, the user or the listener to uh, support or boost, uh, you know, their, their favorite artist or band uh, and be rewarded for the things that they do, be it, you know, uh, do a review for them, you know, tweet about them, post on Facebook, whatever those things are. But any anytime they do something that is essentially going to help grow that artist's audience, um, they, they are rewarded. What do you mean by this token? Because I don't think many of us know much about how Bitcoin works. <laughs> can, can I try? Can I try to explain Bitcoin? Good luck. Okay. And, and if I'm wrong at any point in this discussion, please raise your hand and tell me I'm full of crap, okay? Oh, you bet. Basically, blockchain is one big database where everybody knows mm-hmm. all the transactions that are occurring between every possible person that is included in the database. Yes. And because we, every participant has a copy of that database, it is possible for, well, it is impossible to hide a transaction from anybody. Correct. Yeah, it's it's transparent, it's secure, it's global, it's borderless, it's all the things you need, not only for the music industry, but for any industry, as a matter of fact, to, to sort of, uh, uh, you know, disrupt in a good way and say, here's where you guys are going wrong, and here's where we can correct it. And our, our specifically is on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, and uh, there, is, there, there, there are two things to remember or to, to sort of sort here too. The uh, Ether on the Ethereum would be like the, the, the currency, the, the big thing that sort of runs it all. Which is um, another cryptocurrency next to Bitcoin and all the others. So it, it is. It, it, okay. It's, yes. And and uh, Ethereum allows for uh, more transactions per second. Still not, still not anywhere uh, near what you know uh, what we expect. You know, in, in the very near future, and there are other things like spinning off from that that will allow for these micro payments and and 
insane amounts of transactions. However, all this stuff is being built, but the 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 uh, the, the tokens uh, on top of these blockchains actually act more like a like a like a like a key or a password that will unlock features that are in the platform. So they wouldn't do the. That's not the currency. That's not the day to day. But though that's that that is the value in the ecosystem. If if you sort of can follow that. Okay. So how did you get from being a professional rock and roll singer and then a radio guy and then a potential replacement for Scott Weiland and Stone Temple Pilots into something like this? You know, being in a band, you meet a lot of different characters. I can only imagine. Yeah. I met this guy named Alan. And I have, uh, but, you know, there are all kinds of people around and, and you know, guys right, and girls right under your nose that you have no idea what they do. And then so I, I, I became friends with this guy who was a fan of the band. Um, and we chatted and, you know, I, I talked about the problems in the industry and he was talking about, you know, you know, Bitcoin and blockchain and this type of thing. And I it was really sort of over my head and really not on my radar at the time this is going back a few years now. But he really encouraged me to, to to get in a little deeper and dig around and see how it could provide solutions for the industry that I was in because I you know I, I love music and I love I love it it's you know it's everything but something is very wrong and very broken so I, it kind of led me down this crazy rabbit hole and, and looking at everything and then I, I met these uh, I met these nice guys online who uh, were working on a project and the most interesting at the time uh, with with music, which was, uh, uh, so I, Musicoin, and I reached out to them and we started talking and then I was, you know, became a founder of that and sort of their, their go-to music guy. Uh, and then we kept going down the road and we started this music economy uh, idea where we, we realized that, you know, the, the, the streaming aspect of music although although big and you know happening everywhere still wasn't really the only thing that was that needed to be corrected there are all kinds of things in the industry that really need sort of attention and work and the idea behind music economy was to never completely you know er erase the intermediaries but certainly uh, eliminate the intermediary intermediaries uh, without any um, value or, or questionable value people with their hands out don't make any sense anymore things that we can avoid and and, and get on with it okay uh, let me be devil's advocate here one of the things that you're looking to disrupt and some of the people that you're looking to disintermediate are record labels and publishers these are the people mm. that sit on the top of the food chain that basically mm. are the space between – they occupy the space between the artist and the fan. And they end up determining what the artist will be paid for any kind of fan interaction. How are you going to deal with these people? They don't want – they're not going to go quietly into that good night. They are going to want to make sure that they continue getting their piece of the pie, which is bigger than what the artists get. And, and not be cut out of the equation like you're proposing. I agree. And so, again, the th you know, the thing that I always try to go back to is that we're not proposing that we we take out the people, you know, that have value. It's the, it's the, 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 the intermediaries of questionable value. And I, 
I really feel as though, you know, this, this whole space is essentially, you know, permissionless. We'll just do it. And then, you know, there will be people that will come along that, you know, are, are artists with, you know, big voices and big followings and maybe coming out of crummy deals that want to, you know, try something new and, and have a bit more control and, and share it. And we know how that works and how it, it, it will work. I really feel like if people can uh, can really dig in and figure out how they fit into it and ask for assistance, there's going to be a whole pile of people that would be more than happy to help. It strikes me as well that the question's kind of like asking YouTube in the early days. So you've got these four major broadcasters. Uh, they're not going to go in quietly into the good night uh, with all these videos you're making freely available. What are you going to do about them? And I suppose the answer is you don't do anything. You just do your own thing and let the dinosaur die out. Well, that's, you know, that's essentially it. Like, I, you know, I can be, you know, I went to a music conference not that long ago um, and made, and again, how quickly the space moves where it was only in uh, April of this year that I went to it. And I, I felt this, this tension between just about anybody I talked to who, uh, you know, I, I would have considered like a, a friend or a cohort or whatever, but there was this weird thing when talking about blockchain and cryptocurrency. And I, and I, and I really feel as though, because they know uh, how imminent it is and and uh, what happened the last time they didn't embrace a movement and, you know, how things can go wrong really quickly. So, uh, and this one is, I believe, unstoppable. When you have a guy like, you know, Bill Gates say that it's unstoppable, he's probably right. He's done a couple of things. And so I think that you don't ask for permission. You do it and you, you really make it clean and clear that you are actually trying to help the entire industry. We are here to, you know, do whatever we can to empower the the other 99% of the people and make sure that, you know, the, the fans of the actual music and talent are real true fans like it used to be, as opposed to, well, this is our priority at the label and we need to push it and it really doesn't matter if this album stinks because we got a lot of money to make back or whatever the case may be but stuff that i never identify with and i'm unwilling to sort of accept as the last you know idea in in, in that artistic space because that, that that to me is just not right so don't ask for permission just do it and then the people who again are are, are hungry enough and, and and still have the fire and the and the passion for the business and the music and the artists that they deal with they'll find their 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 place in it all and they'll make it work fantastic for them it's the other people who are who are scared that they're going to lose you know their and not that there's you know I understand it, but the people who are going to you know maybe lose their second yacht or their 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 Lamborghini or whatever whatever that you know that thing is those are the cats that are going to be really scared and not want to talk basically you are elon musk going up against big <laughs> yes yes you're the music industry equivalent to iron man brian great having you with us thank you so much thanks brian thanks fellas i, I, I really appreciate it brian byrne is the former singer of i mother earth and co-founder of music economy thank you so much Think the internet is cool? Geeksandbeats.com is now available on computers. Read the stories the boys are talking about, stream the latest episode, and get caught up on back issues of the world's most popular podcast. Geeksandbeats.com. Also available on CD-ROM. I 
know so little about this whole cryptocurrency thing, but it's obvious that there is a thing happening. You know what it feels like to me? It feels to me like uh, Unix. Uh, you know it's powerful. You know it's important. You have no idea how it works or why. And until someone comes around and wraps a pretty little interface over it, no one's going to use it. That's exactly it. Because people, I know some people that got into Bitcoin really early and now they're sitting on piles of money. And I feel stupid for not getting involved. But I have, I still don't know how, I don't even, I know I can, I can mine my currency. I don't know if I should mine currency in Bitcoin or Ethereum or Dogecoin or all those other ones. And I'm not even sure how I get my money in or out of this ecosystem yet. Exactly. I know I can learn how. But I just, uh, it just, it's complicated. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. We have a co-producer, and maybe this time we'll actually get paid. Okay, are we talking about Stan? No. Oh. Is Rob Rimmer, uh, who uh, upgraded his $10 a week donation to the big show to 25 bucks, which means he is now a co-producer of the World's Worst Intern Program, which also means we send him the album art of the latest episode with his record logo in the corner. He can print it off, frame it, and hang it in his mother's basement where she'll be proud. We also want to thank uh, Mike Benninger, who upgraded his from $1 to $2. Of course, all of these upgrades, both of these upgrades, are coming courtesy of last week when we finally... Got the Patreon bill in for the previous month, and because we've been on hiatus for 18 months, half the credit cards were declined. Oh, yeah, that was right. Uh, are we back on track with that? Well, I'm hoping that you as the listener will, in fact, go to your Patreon account if you've supported the big show in the past and update your credit card so that we can continue to ding it. The neat thing, of course, with Patreon is that when you do offer a per-episode donation, you can set a lifetime limit so that we don't rack up your credit card until kingdom come. We also want to thank uh, Craig... Schlegel Milch. Okay, I'm assuming that's the correct pronunciation. I'm assuming too. He donated $3 per episode of The Big Show. I want to thank Craig. And what I also would like Craig to do, considering his last name is Schlegel Milch, I want to find out what his buddies call him. When you have a unique name like this, you never get called by your full last name. Trust me, as someone who knows. Yeah. Uh, are you are you uh, Schleg? Are you Milch? Are you Milky? Or what are you? Exactly. I'm fascinated by this whole thing. So, Craig, thank you so much for opening your wallet wide and donating three bucks to the big show per week to be a member of the world's worst intern program. And, of course, what makes it the world's worst is you pay us to work on the show, don't do any actual work, and all we do is say thank you and ding your When wallet. are we going to talk about Stan and Taco? Oh, yes. Okay, uh, let me do this. Um, I go to a dog park with Schmooze on a regular basis it's across the street from me, and I run into Stan, who is a real estate agent, and he has a really mean little uh, chihuahua named Taco. Um, but in in order to get to the, it takes a while for them to get to the dog park because Taco has such little legs. And on his way to the dog park and uh, back home, he listens to the podcast on on uh, on his an iPhone. The, the, wait, 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 hang on, hang on, wait. The dog has his own iPhone. What? No, no, no. I'm sorry, Stan does. Uh, it's, it's not an iPhone. Uh, Stan is the only guy I know with the latest BlackBerry. <laughs> so when you go to the dog park, you go back to 1997. Something like that. 
Um, right. But uh, Stan felt very guilty for not listen, for not uh, getting involved with Patreon. He said he couldn't figure out how it worked, so he just sent us a check. And thank you very much, Stan. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks to Taco, who probably nagged him into it. <laughs> I think what we'll have to do is, is, is next week we'll have to give him the uh, uh, the producer co credit uh, or co producer credit and and the uh, the artwork. So instead of it being a Rimmer Taco joint. It'll just be Rimmer this week and Taco next. Yes, that's how we'll do it. Go to geeksandbeats.com slash donate if you'd like to help out. It really makes a big difference. What also makes a really big difference is if you share on social media the episode, we got to get the listenership up if we're going to manage to keep our executive producer, Vanessa Azoli, uh, in business with the big show. There's another thing that I'd like to mention. Uh, I do these music and tech meetups every six or eight weeks or so. I did one recently at Ryerson, and uh, there were about 150 people there, and I had at least a dozen people come up to me saying, hey, we listen to Geeks and Beats. Uh, Glad to have you guys back. Are you going to do more shows, and what are you going to do in the future? So uh, I I might as well plug this. Uh, These music meetups, music and tech meetups, are free. It's free to join the group. You got to RSVP because we always have free food, free drinks, and, you know, prizes. We don't network on an empty stomach there. We have some very good pizza, and uh, we don't have the Japanese whiskey or the weird little vodka that you have. Uh, but we do have uh, some adult beverages. This is for anybody who is interested in any kind of music and technology and the intersection of the two. So if you want to join us the next time, we don't have a date for the next one yet. Probably it'll be sometime in September. Uh, musictechnology.ca. Click on the meetup button and uh, we'll see you there. We have to get you to the next one. Oh, I'll be there. There are our kind of people attend. Let's put it that way. I don't really know what that means. Next week on The Big Show, the birthplace of Canadian rock, Toronto's legendary Horseshoe Tavern. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.